episode 90 of the podcast. Holy cow. This kind of feels like a milestone, actually. Cody Allen of CMT, the country radio host, one of the biggest names in country radio. And he's got a new book out, Here's the Thing, which talks all about his life and his career. And uh, I got to tell you, I love this book. I read it in a couple days. And there was a lot that I didn't know about Cody that gets revealed here. A lot about his family, a lot about his rise in country radio. Um, this is kind of cool. If you've ever wondered what it, it what it takes to make it in country radio as a country radio host, I mean, this is the book. Here's the thing. H-E-A-R, the thing. What else can I say? I mean, this was a great conversation. Cody was really, um, really open. We, we, you know, super open about some of these topics coming out relatively late in his career, the support of his family, the support of his parents to drive him every single evening and pick him up every morning from his first radio gig. It got kind of emotional at one point, actually. Um, but that's kind of why I love this conversation. It's very real. We really get into it. Talk about the book. We talk about his career. We talk about Cody. And um, I, he's a great guy. This was actually, you know, this was the first time we ever spoke. And I feel like by the end of this conversation, we were best friends. So let, uh, let's dive in. We had a lot to get through here. Episode 90, Cody Allen. Here we go. I'm so excited to be on with you because I love what you do. I read every morning you're a column and um, I'm a fan. So thank you for making time for me. Are you kidding me? Thanks for taking the time. I'm very excited yeah. about this also. Um, by the way, first of all, I want to congratulate you on being one of Nashville's 25 most beautiful people. I know. Uh, how did that happen? It's, yeah. That, first amazing. of all, how does, so they pick you for this list and then how does this work? Do they call you to do, do they do the photo shoot and they ask you to send some questions in and answer some questions? Is that, is that how this works? What, what happens? Yeah, here? I mean, I, someone called and said, Hey, you're on this list and we need you to answer a few questions for the magazine. And then, yeah. And then you do like a little photo shoot for them and uh, they print it up and there you are. I, it's magic. How does it happen? I don't know. Who's pulling the strings? Who, is that a big flex with Trey or, you know, you run, the, you know, does, I feel like this is a big deal here, Cody. Yeah, uh, I, well, he is much more attractive than I am is the, is the issue in this house. And that's why he feels unfairly treated that he's never been named one of the most beautiful because clearly of the two of us, he wins um, hands down. And like by a landslide, it's like, it's like Reagan Dukakis here. I mean, a, a, yeah. So nonetheless, he's a little upset over that. You're right. I, thanks for bringing it up. You're, you may break <laughs> us up right here on the show, Zach. That might do it. And also, uh, CMA, you just won your first CMA award. I did. And I loved what you said in the, uh, in the report. You, you were talking about how your mother on your first radio station, when you were 15 years old, on your first show, your mother would drive you in at 11.30 yep. p.m. Your dad would pick you up at 6 a.m. So you could be on this radio show, yeah. Because you couldn't drive at night because you didn't because your because your permit wouldn't let you drive. Yeah, it was one of those South Carolina laws where you couldn't drive after dark, and it may have been like six p.m. to six a something like that. And so I worked the overnight, you know, graveyard shift where you'd have to go in and be on the air at midnight till six a.m. So my mom would drive me at eleven thirty. My dad picked me up. It's a true story. So I, that always stuck with me because I'm like, man, they were so dedicated. First of all, you're you're already making me cry, Zach. I'm already starting to tear up over this one because. They were so dedicated to my dream. Like, that's what I wanted so badly was to be on the air. And they saw it and they sacrificed 
you know, whatever for their kid. And I, I'll never forget those days and nights. And, uh, and it, uh, it meant so much to me. It stuck with me, obviously, years later. I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, the, first of all, the book is amazing. Here's the thing. Uh, there's a lot I want to talk about with it. And I kind of get your journey to becoming a radio host of your dad just listened to so much music. He was such a record man. I think you were you you watched a lot of Johnny Carson growing up. And but but was that it? Was it just your love of music and that the radio show was the closest thing to it? Like what really drew you to it? Well, I think that um it's hard to say. I do feel like it's one of those things that was deep in my genes, like DNA. For whatever reason, I've always been drawn to like broadcasting, entertainment, TV, radio. I listened to the radio with my dad a lot. And I talk about in the book that, you know, I would hear the voices of the DJs come on and between the songs, telling the stories about the artists or the songs themselves. And I was like, man, it'd be so fun to be that guy. And I really grew to love guys like, you know, Rick Dees back in the day. And even our local jocks who were so great, uh, Bob Kingsley, you know, one of the great country music uh, DJs of greatest of all time. Um, so I, uh, yeah, all those things sort of sunk in. And for whatever reason, I believed I could do it. So wait, so you're on Yes 97, you're 15 years old. And are you in these early broadcast casts? Do you, if you look back at them, are you kind of imitating other hosts that you, sure. you, you were doing, you were doing impressions? Cause you didn't, you probably didn't have your voice yet. Right. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Who are you yeah, imitating? I was, I think mostly Rick Dees. I remember uh, mimicking his voice in my mind. Um, and uh, that was the guy I wanted to be. I wanted to be like him. He was a you know multimedia personality uh, in his time, uh, not only on radio with Rick Dees and the weekly top 40, but also he had the TV thing going on ABC. He had a late night show uh, that was short lived, but nonetheless, I didn't care because he was the guy I wanted to be. So yes, I did mimic him. And in fact, I, Rumor has it, and I'm a little hoarse right now, and I got a cold. Me too, uh, actually. Has, I, I, I think I could still do a Rick Dees impersonation. Let's hear it. was just so smooth, man. I mean, even on the count he'd be like, mm, Rick Dees and the weekly top 40. Here's Matchbox 20 at number 17. And so I was doing a little bit of that, I think, on the air early. And uh, at Yes 97, yes, it's hard to say no to a station called yes i did love that slogan um then i started to develop uh, as that station changed formats into country later uh, this love for country music that really was birthed you know in my childhood i remember every morning my mom playing country in the in the mornings while we were getting ready for school and she never missed a morning of cooking breakfast for for the fam so um she would play country on the little you know the little radio on the formica you know kitchen countertops and uh, I'll just never forget those those uh, smells of the bacon and eggs or whatever, and the and the sound of country music playing on the radio. And so when that station Yes ninety seven flipped formats to country, all of a sudden I realized like, hey, there's country's different. I, there's something about it that takes me back to where I came from, who I am, and there's no like young voices on country radio. And I thought I could maybe be a younger, more energetic sort of approach to country music and that's kind of what i set out to be is like that was going to be my little niche at least in my head <laughs> and how did you figure out like i think i've heard you say that you really like i guess what you could say is like the jimmy fallon approach of like we're here for fun we're not going to make fun of anyone versus i think i've heard you say you know you're a big colbert fan but colbert's humor is sort of based on picking at people or sort of 
you know, attacking people a little bit. It, did you kind of find that voice or did you, did you try both sides and you go, look, I'm the nice guy. I'm here to make everyone look good. Did you, did it take a minute to sort of find that voice? Yeah, I think that um, Colbert leans on the politics and I think that um, that's all good. I love to watch him. I think he's incredibly entertaining. He's just not my style. I'm much more of sort of the, the, the Fallon approach or even Jimmy Kimmel to some degree where you always feel like you're going to get a little bit of a party when you show up for that and that it's going to be uh, entertaining. And that's that before anything else. And I think that that is um, kind of what I uh, deciphered, at least in our, our modern era, who I'm, I'm most like. But I definitely, as you mentioned earlier, loved Carson growing up and even Arsenio Hall, who was, you know, just super red hot uh, whenever I was making my decisions about what to do with my career. And I thought, man, I want to bring the party to people's, you know, radios, to television, you know, that whole Arsenio who, who you know, it's like I want to be part of that sort of like uh, different approach. And so, um, yeah, I, I set out early with those, with those guys as kind of my heroes. And you're right, over time, I think I sort of developed that voice, but I knew early on that I wasn't going to be a gotcha question kind of guy. I, I, not that you don't want to, you know, get into people's personal lives occasionally, because that's what makes people interesting, is somehow knowing uh, from time to time about their family, about where they came from, about their children, you know, the things that they care about most. Uh, you have to touch on those, you know, hot, uh, hot points, but I think also that um, you can do so without being a uh, sort of negative uh, media star. And I think yeah, we've right. got enough of that in the world, you know? Right. You know, I love the story in the book, by the way, once again, here, we got a lot to talk about in this book because there's a lot to unpack, but I I'm, I'm holding right here. Here's the thing right here. If, uh, if anyone sees the video, uh, I love this story about how you're running for, I guess, class president and you wrangle up all the cheerleaders to, to hold a, a banner, I guess, as everyone was was coming into school to uh, to basically say vote for Cody, right? Or vote for Alan, right? Is that, and, uh, exactly. and I, I, you know, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about um, uh, Seymour Stein signing Madonna and how he said, you know, she didn't, I wasn't attracted to her. So all I, I just saw the business opportunity. I just saw what I could do with her career. And it allowed me to see amazing opportunities in her. And I was just thinking, yeah. like, I feel like most people would be so intimidated to go up to these hot cheerleaders and ask them to do this. But you just, you know, you were able to see this opportunity, right? Does this give you a, you know, yeah. what's the story here? How'd this happen? Well, for whatever reason, because of radio, because I was doing it at an early age, I was really quite a popular kid in school. I never, it was the only thing I had, to be honest. I was not a jock. I was, um, I, I didn't hang out on the weekends with people a lot. I was kind of an introvert who did this, who, who became this sort of like crazy, awesome, fun guy on the radio. And people knew me for that. And therefore it grew in popularity amongst the student body at Lexington High School, uh, where I grew up in South Carolina. And so I did have a lot of uh, cheerleader uh, friends and girlfriends. Um, uh, of course, knowing this whole time that I'm also living a bit of a charade right. because I'm covering up my true self uh, through all of this. Uh, and I did so for years. No, no one ever knew uh, about my secret uh, until I decided to expose that much later in my life. Um, so you're right. I, I guess I was a bit of an opportun uh, opportunist, uh, but I also thought, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I get people's attention? How do I make, and I, and I knew I had done I, I thought I had really flubbed up the entire like election thing because I was not very good pol at, at, at politics at the time. Um, Versus now, uh, are you was, good at politics now? 
Uh, I, I, better? I think I'm more, I'm, I'm more diplomatic and I'm probably better at speaking and selling something than I would have been years ago. But How would you get elected mayor of Nashville? Who would you wrangle if you were trying to run for uh, positions in Nashville? Who would you, who would you wrangle to, uh, to hold that banner in front of the election office? Are the, Titan, are the Titans cheerleaders available? Titans, <laughs> I, if someone could get them, I think you could get them. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely thought that that was part of what maybe put me over the edge to actually win vice president, vice president. <laughs> but that's, I mean, what, that's such a great memory. What a moment. Uh, it was so fun. I, I'll never forget that morning. It was awesome. But you know, <laughs> I, I loved in the book also, um, you know, it really shines a light on Mormonism a little bit, which I think gets, maybe gets a little bit of a, of a negative rap in culture. Cause we look at South park and book of Mormon and, and some of these yeah. things, and I think your book really humanized it in a, in a really great way. But for me, I thought it was interesting that like, I, like when I was younger, like I was, I was running away from religion. Like we were going to temple, you know, every week and I, and I dreaded it and I, I wanted nothing to do with it, but you were, you were pulled to, to the church into Mormonism, which yeah. I, which I thought, I think I thought was kind of interesting. Like what about it was, you, you talk about it in the book, but what pulled you into it or how did you, it was such an individualistic thing for you to chase, right? Yeah. You know, I grew up like you, uh, constantly going to church. Um, and I, uh, I will admit much to my, my mother's probably dismay. I hope she doesn't see this, but she, it was boring at times. Like all of us as kids, you know, we, I just sort of dreaded waking up early on a Sunday yeah. morning and, and it was Southern Baptist. So it never really, for whatever reason, never registered with me. Um, and so when I had a friend take me to the Mormon church, it was a completely fresh, different approach. There is not a pastor who speaks for 30 minutes in front of a congregation about, you know, pounding on a, on a, on a podium. There's none of that. And so to me, it was so, again, refreshing is, is a good word for it. And I, and I felt something there that uh, I hadn't felt before. And it was a, maybe a more peace, peaceful, quiet sort of approach. And to me, that was very appealing at the time when I was sort of searching for answers as a, you know, a late teen. So I wanted to figure out where God wanted me, you know, again, maybe instilled in me uh, since childhood. It's like, wh where does God want you to be? And so to me, I always was searching for that answer. Um, and that's why I think the Mormon church was just so attractive to me when I was a teen. And your mom let you go on this, on this mission, which you talk about how, I mean, how crazy that is crazy to think about now, because it, it, so did you not, you didn't see her for like two years, right? Or any of your family. It's a two year mission. Every missionary you see for the Mormon church with the, right. uh, the eyes and the white shirts. They're out there for two years, wherever they're serving. I got to go to Seattle, which is awesome. Great city to be in. A lot I don't of people know. I, think I, I maybe want to go to like Paris or somewhere, someplace totally international or something, right. someplace totally exotic. I know, I know, I know. A lot of people want to go, you know, learn French or Spanish or uh, Portuguese or whatever. And I, di I didn't get that chance. But uh, nonetheless, I loved where I went. Um, and I fell in love with Seattle, uh, as you, you read about in the book. But yes, it was a big sacrifice for my mom and my family. And yet they supported me. Like, I, who, who, again, going back to the story about going at 15 years old to the radio station, like these people loved me so much. They were willing to say, OK, you go ahead. We'll we'll be here when you get back. And we love you. And uh, that's a uh, you're making me cry again. That's a really hard thing to say as a parent. Now being a parent myself, I don't know how they did it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know if I have the same strength from, you yeah. know, to way. it's, it's strength. But, but does it give you, I mean, you, I'm sure you can think about that position. Then you think about your kids now and, you know, I'm sure they're off doing crazy things and 
maybe maybe you think they're they should do something else or maybe you're questioning a decision yeah. they make but you've got to think about your mom sort of yes. giving you the space to kind of figure it out and absolutely yeah there's definitely that um where in my own uh with my own kids i have to uh put my own feelings aside my own biases and go hey uh, what what do you think and that's a lot of what i talk about in the book is so many times it's, it's like okay what does your intuition say what's your heart got to say about it because that means more than anything else put the money aside put uh the place in the world aside like the city uh put friends aside what does your intuition say about this decision and and that's where you find the answer um is is i think digging within and listening again going back to the theme of the book it is all about listening listening to your own heart do you appreciate the uh the musical the book of mormon or is it does it cut too close to home have you ever seen it i have seen it and i thought it was really funny i loved it um i think the second act after the intermission is <laughs> like wow uh, i it blew my mind just some of the frankness how should we say it just it's all out they lay it all out there and it's uh it was a little strong i thought but um look uh it's a satire and i get it and i can laugh at it it didn't hurt my feelings at all and i, I think when i saw it i was a pretty i think i was still a pretty active mormon i got when did it come out it was like mid, yeah so i was still Almost kind of like in the 10 church years and, ago like yeah 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 so i was still kind of active in the church at that time at least somewhat and um but i wasn't i mean you know you have to learn to smile at life and uh, take it for what it was which, and what it is, which is brilliantly written. The music's great. Um, I really loved it, actually. It's funny because if you go there in the playbill, there's always advertisements for the Mormon church. They're, uh, so yeah. <laughs> which they were I, trying to take advantage of that moment. You know, I don't know if it worked or not, but they were trying. Right, right, right. You know, there's this other story in the book that I think is really interesting, which is you're in Texas uh, at the Wolf. You're DJing on the Wolf. And you get this amazing opportunity to come to Nashville, be on a Nashville station, massive payday. And, mm -hmm. and Brian Phillips says, don't go, stay, stay here, stay with me. And I think this is crazy, Cody. To me, Nashville yeah. seems like where you are now. Nashville would have been the dream. The payday was huge. You say in the book that you knew you had to follow the path, but I don't know, Cody, it seems like this was the path. It seems like the path was coming yeah. to Nashville, taking this job. Why yeah. I don't get why you didn't take this job. Yeah, well, the the foreshadowing of that moment to where I am now, one would say, okay, you eventually figured that out, and, and perhaps you're right in that regard. However, I can't imagine being where I am now if I hadn't made the decision then to stay in Texas and not go to Nashville. You know, I think it comes down to this, Zach. You really do have to dig deep within your heart, soul, spirit you know, your prayers, whatever you believe, universe, God, whatever it is for you, I think, um, and, and then follow that intuition, that flow through. Um, and for me, there was always just something weird and wrong about that Nashville move to me, even though on paper, it seems so freaking logical, like you said, and yet you choose where your, what your heart says over your head. And I, you know, listen, I've done that throughout my whole life. It's over and over again, that pattern. And again, I, I accepted a uh, much less money in, to stay in Texas. And then that station, as you read in the book, became what it is, which is the, uh, probably the best known country radio brand ever, uh, The Wolf. And so uh, copied, imitated, you know, heard around the world. Uh, and uh, to be a part of that on the ground floor, those lessons learned, I could have never gotten if I'd taken the Nashville job. So, yeah, I, I think it just comes down to, okay, something's not right here. My gut is telling me 
to go this way. And I think you have to, at the end of the day, follow the gut, you know? How do you cultivate that dedicated listenership like you had at The Wolf? I mean, that's something you have to really learn about. I think the way you show up at events, the way you speak on the radio, the way you communicate with your listeners, that's a real skill to sort of convey that the listeners are part of a community and that they have this relationship with you, even though they've never met you. Is that what you learned being at The Wolf for so many years? Like, how, like how, yeah. how do you figure that out? It's interaction. It is total interaction. Learning to engross yourself 100% in being interactive with the audience. And that is, of course, speaking through a microphone, as you see right here, uh, giving people the weather or telling about current events, all the stuff, all the music information you're supposed to do. That's you know expected. But it's about the interaction on the telephone, the interaction through social media, going out, meeting people, being local, live and local with them, showing up at an auto dealership with a big giant wheel uh, that you spin around for a prize. I mean, these are the things you have to do to get to know people and willing to put yourself out there. I think that was, you know, Something, again, radio people understand because it is guerrilla warfare to find the listeners, get them, keep them. And, um, you know, and it still is that way that hopefully the mentality's not changed uh, over the years since I've been in syndicated radio, but certainly local radio is that way all the time. And so, um, yeah, learning to interact with people and um, getting to know them. I mean, that is, there's no other, it's, it is, goes back to politics a little bit, doesn't it? You gotta get those cheerleaders on your side. <laughs> but are, are those the lessons you learn or you learned at the wolf that you wouldn't have learned if you came to that Nashville station, you know, how to do some of those things on the ground floor, how to build a brand. Is, is, mm -hmm. is that, is that what you got there that you wouldn't have gotten here in Nashville? I think so for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, uh, the Texas, you know, people are special. I mean, there's something about that state uh, and particularly where I was at that moment. Um, and also about the music that existed at that time. You know, so much great Texas country music that was bubbling under that. And, and I was able to be a part of sort of bringing about big careers for Texas artists, be it Pat Green or, you know, Jack Ingram or even, you know, Nashville based Texans like Leanne Womack and others that I talked about in the book. I, I, I was it was so fun to, you know, discover music and then share it with the audience and then make them a part of what you were so excited about. And so. I don't know if that would have happened in Nashville. It might have been a little squashed down, watered down, and different. This Texas Texans don't water anything down. It's all wild, crazy, rollicking in your face, and they have uh, and they make no apologies about it. And I was I learned a lot from that sort of mentality at that radio station, and it's it's something I carry with me even now uh, every day. Is like, yeah, let's let's get people to remember us today. What are we doing that comes out of the speakers or onto the screen? that gets you remembered and um, that people want to come back to because it's so great. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> and, and when you finally came to Nashville, which maybe, I mean, Texas is massive. You know, CMT is prime time for sure. When you came to CMT prime time, you know, were you more developed as a radio host because of all the time you spent in Texas? Like if you would come earlier, would you maybe have blown your oh, shot yeah. or, or would you maybe have been, you know, developing under the microscope is tricky, right? Yeah. It's, it's exactly like the story I tell in the book about uh, getting a morning show when I was 23 years old yeah, versus right. getting a morning show when I was like 20. I guess I was about, but about 29 or 30 at the time. Uh, and so there's something about youth and, and stupidity and like greenness that, uh, and, and look, people wanted to give me big jobs and it was a little bit, uh, it was like, what do I do? Um, and 
I had to decide that, okay, I need to still learn and, and get better at this. And so by the time I got a real morning gig later, I was much better at it. And, um, and the same probably would have been the case about the Nashville job. You're right, that I, I probably wasn't ready for uh, all that artist interview interaction. I, I really needed to learn more about the sort of basics of uh, interactions with fans and you know, listeners that I, that I wouldn't have got that you can't, you know, there's no way to, to, to teach that you have to you know, learn on the job. And so I really needed those 10 years in Dallas to sort of get that down. Right. Right. And then you, you talk about this in the book, but I, I, I was trying to understand, like, how did you become the guy at CMT? That was like the guy, like you tell the story, but how were you the one that was, that was kind of chosen for this? Because did it really stand out what you were doing in Texas and at the Wolf and did it just that, that really caught our, caught the eye of, of CMT? Yeah, I think it, 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 it comes down to hard work, people noticing you. I think, um, you know, it helps that Brian Phillips uh, worked with me at the radio station in Dallas and then later worked at CMT. But that, that alone doesn't, that alone's not good enough. Uh, you still have to be remembered as someone who is good at the job and who can, is hardworking and um, uh, would be able to be on a national stage. And so that, I was seen as that definitely was because of all those years in Texas, but also because um, I, I think it's important to remember someone's always sort of watching you um, with whatever it is that you're doing, whatever job. And if you become really good at it, they will notice you and remember you later for something else, perhaps that is maybe in the same line or different only because they noticed you being, you know, hardworking and good at what you do. And I think that speaks to kind of the less, of those at least 10 years at Wolf and beyond. What's the way, like if you want to become Cody Allen today, is the way to do it to not come to a major market? I mean, Texas is a pretty major market, but is the way to do it to find your local station and to climb the ranks there and, you know, to develop, you know, somewhere other? If your goal is to come to Nashville and have a massive station to be a Cody Allen figure, are, do you think kids are still interested in this today? Do you think people still still want to become radio hosts or 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 youtube stars or is it, is it a little bit different today yeah maybe the youtube stars are, are becoming um our instagram insta famous uh is becoming you know uh more desirable for some people some youth i you know i think i think there's still magic about the radio itself like there's yeah, there, something there really about is, right you can't uh, you can't quite explain it it's a feeling it's a vibe where you know you listen to a DSP, one of the digital streaming platforms, and yeah, I'm going to get some great music because I'm going to choose it, and maybe I'll listen to one of their playlists. But the human connections missing uh, often in those scenarios. Uh, obviously, they're they're trying to get a little more humanness into their platforms, but boy, there's nothing like a DJ who you really like um, who comes on in between the song to tell you something, um, and that's where you know that's my bread and butter. That's what I've always done. That's what I love. That's what I hope to always do is to sort of be that guy for people in between the songs who's uh, friendly and fun and warm and also informative and hopefully entertaining when it comes to having guests on um, and giving them a full sort of full body radio experience. And it's so humanizing to see others, to see a celebrity with someone who's very human also, and to mm. see both, you know, both of those people together is kind of the best way to present a celebrity because you can really see what it, it's almost like you're, you're watching what it would be like to be friends with that celebrity and to have the people that can have those conversations and make celebrities feel comfortable and open up is yeah. kind of an important thing. I think. Yeah. I hope that people who 
want to do radio or be in um, uh, the, you know, in, on a microphone somewhere in whatever, you know, fashion, whatever platform there is, uh, that, that they will be given opportunities to do it. I mean, I feel like I was, got lucky because I was uh, willing to go pound on someone's door and say, hey, I want to do this one day. Can you give, can I just work in the radio station for the summer? And that turned into who I am now to some degree. So I think that, yeah, I hope those people aren't losing opportunities. I hear that there are not as many slots as there used to be and they're not hiring people. And I, I, uh, I worry that maybe that doesn't help uh, that human connection to stay alive um, whenever we're denying people opportunities to be on the air or work in the uh, radio station. Um, so um, I, I'm always going to be the guy who will say, let's open the doors. Let's have part-time work, you know, people working constantly. Let's, let's be as live as we possibly can 24 seven. So we can provide those opportunities for, for youth who are looking. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I was, I was listening to a podcast you did in 2016 with Kara hobby. And, uh, and, and there, there was a moment on the podcast where she commented how well dressed you are as a person. And, and you said this line, which I thought was interesting. You, you said you were like, yeah, it's like this metrosexual thing that, uh, you know, that, that I have going on. And I was just thinking about that person. And I thought, and my heart kind of went out to that person because I thought that person had such a big secret yeah. that they, that they were hiding in that episode. And I just thought it must've been so hard to, to come to Nashville, come to CMT. And I, I don't know, did you just feel like you couldn't be yourself or, or like always you had to have your guard up? to make sure you weren't going to say the wrong thing or, I mean, it just had to be yeah. hard, right? Yeah, totally. I think that um, I was always sort of second guessing before uh, I came out in 2017. So this would have been 2016. You, you mentioned the interview. I think that, uh, I think that I did hide behind the word metrosexual because it was like, okay, that's how I can kind of, if anyone thinks I'm a little bit different, I can sort of say that in regard. And it sort of made me, uh, feel normal uh, to be able to, and, and, and also uh, in a small way to vent a little bit of what was inside without actually saying it. Um, so yeah, there was always that. And there, I, I described it as sort of being like a backpack that's filled with rocks on your back all the time. You always feel like you, you're carrying this around uphill and you're really ne never able to just clear, to just walk. And, um, and so once I started to sort of unload that backpack and all those rocks, it, it became a lot easier, but I was definitely carrying that for a long time. And, you know, when you're, you're the happy go lucky guy on TV and on the radio, as we've discussed, I, I, uh, I did struggle with like, okay, I know I'm faking this for people. And I, I hated, I hated the fraud that I, I felt like I was. And why was there something that sort of made, you know, 2017 was, was there something that really pushed you in that moment that it was the right moment to do it and, and come out or did you just feel like you know you know this was the time to do it was there was there something that that happened specifically or, or you were just like you know there's no good time this is the moment this is it yeah yeah I, well it's definitely not a, a light you switch on and off i felt like it it was a build-up um in the book i talked about sort of the process because i wanted people to understand that it wasn't just a moment it was uh, a many 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 years leading up to that moment and um, specifically talking to my ex and then my family and then my kids. And then um, uh, I think meeting Trey also later, um, which happened in late 2015, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he really helped me open up a lot um, because he was out and proud. And, you know, I talk about his accident. He had a horrific 
uh, accident as a teen um, and nearly lost his life, was in a coma for a while and kind of came out of the coma thinking, okay, no more secrets. I'm going to live this life in full. And so that lesson really meant a lot to me as well, because I started thinking that, okay, that's exactly how I want to be. I wonder if I could be that way. And so, um, you know, he eventually helped me get to the point where I thought maybe I could tell the world, maybe I could. And, and that sort of metamorphosis um, with him, I, th- I think is uh, what brought me to January, 2017. I mean, it feels like Nashville or country music gets a bad rap for being a bunch of rednecks, but at the end of the day, you know, art is an empathy machine and we're just a bunch of artists. And it feels like the core national community is, is very accepting. I mean, would you agree? Like, it feels like the majority of the artists, and I would say even a lot of the executives and people behind the scenes are, are incredibly accepting, right? And I think now it's more so than ever, probably, yeah. right? Oh, I definitely think so. Yeah. And I think uh, you're right, not just amongst the executives and the industry insiders, the people who were sitting uh, in the audience at the CMA Awards a couple of weeks ago, but also the artists themselves. I think there's a lot of acceptance. You know, I've been amazed by uh, these straight alpha male types in country music who we would think would not even, uh, who you might perceive might not want to do an interview with Cody Allen because he's different or he's, you know, he's definitely uh, proud of who he is now and stands out and speaks up. Um, and yet they have become closer to me than, than some of the other artists. So, uh, I, 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 like, I'll just use Luke Bryan for example, because Luke, um, the month that I came out in January, 2017, I was scheduled to be the next week at his crash my playa festival. And, um, here's a story that's not in the book, Zach. Uh, he came up to me right before we did our interview there on the beach, which is beautiful, uh, uh, there in Riviera Maya. And he says, uh, he says, uh, so he put, he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, man, I'm so proud of you. How you doing? And people don't know stuff like that happens behind the scenes. Uh, and there are a lot of really loving, decent, wonderful humans in uh, the business that I'm in and you're in. Uh, and I want uh, Keith Urban, you know, he wrote the Ford for the book and he was another artist who just uh, was so super cool and loving and kind uh, behind the scenes. I did tell that story in the book, but uh, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of love and a lot of compassion, a lot of acceptance. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I, I want people who are LGBTQ plus to know that that is happening and that they are loved and that you, that you belong in country music also. And I think that the more you share by yourself and the more of your truth that you share, it just is more of your brand is probably not the right word, but there's more about you that people can know and feel closer to you about and sort of get who you are. And I think that the more elements you can put out about yourself that are honest and real actually pull people towards you and, and, and makes them feel like they have even a bigger connection with you. Right. Did you know it? Was there a relationship with the fans that changed a little bit or with your listeners? Do you, Oh, totally. Do you Absolutely. think there's, there's no doubt about it. Like the, uh, amount of connective tissue that is now between me and whoever's watching or listening has grown. And so there is a new, you know, sort of human emotion that's attached. And I think it comes not just because people go, okay, I, I, I know more about him now and therefore that's good. I think it's more than that. I think it's, I don't, I think it's a lot of people who may go, I don't, I don't agree. 
I don't agree, but I know he's real. I know he is honest. And that authenticity sort of, you know, I just watched the Mayor Pete uh, documentary on, I guess, Amazon. Uh, and, I, and I'm struck by the fact that, you know, he'd go on Fox News, politically speaking again, uh, and, and, and many people don't agree with whatever his issue, you know, placement on issues is. And yet, I think people really liked him because <laughs> he's so freaking authentic and real and you know who he is. And so I don't pretend to equate myself with Buttigieg, but I will say that um, there is something that's happened that is very real, uh, that's more connective nature that, that I think people see in me, a, a guy who's honest, which is all you ever want to be in life is just a person of integrity with honesty and, and be valued for who you are. And so that's, that's how I look at it. It's, I think people see that in me. And, I, uh, and I, I'm so, it's so nice to not be that 2016 guy anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, something else that you say in the book, which I think is kind of funny, is you talk about how sometimes uh, if you have a guest coming on and you maybe get the sense that they're a little tense, you'll curse a little bit in front of them before the interview. I guess before you're on air, does that really, that's your move? Is that the move to get people to loosen up, drop a couple I, I, curse words? Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes. I've noticed that, you know, depending on the, the vibe in the room, it's good to always loosen people up. I noticed you did that uh, with the start of this interview that before I knew that we were even starting, the microphone was on and we were recording. I always do that as well. I always make sure it's all kind of going so we can just start a conversation. And it's not like, hey, it's Cody Allen here from the CMT. We're with that was Zach Bradley. I mean, it's, it's more about like starting a conversation and, and making it feel like a conversation so that then, you know, uh, people can feel you know, more at ease. And so an occasional f-bomb does like do the trick on like just loosening up the room a little bit okay why does that work why do people like to hear that i i think they do though why does that yeah. work i think it is like it takes it uh, it breaks the tension it, it, that's why people use curse words in the first place is because you want to emphasize something something and sort of break the wall down the quickest way possible and, and an f-bomb sometimes does that you you automatically get people's attention and I think it breaks that wall down. So if there's a wall existing between you and a potential guest and you're trying to just make everybody in the room, including whoever the publicists are, which are usually lingering around as well, you've got to sort of like break through with something. And that's that's kind of one easy, quick way to do it uh, that, um, that I have found to be true. That's the, I also agree. And I mean, you've been doing this so much longer than I have, but I quickly learned that I think when I started this podcast, I would have a guest come on and I'd be like, Okay, Cody Allen is the host of CMT. Like, blah, blah, Cody, great to have you here. And it like tenses people up, right? Like, you want to just kind of, yes, yes. you want to just flow into it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's something about those giant intros that, that DJs and uh, hosts will give. And I'm always like, uh, just because all of a sudden we're on, we're on. Uh, you know, we were, we can be on before, but let's just start with some, uh, you know, small talk. I mean, how's the weather? How about the Titans? Whatever it is. Like, I think all that stuff still matters because we're all humans. And I think it's going to connect with people right away on, you know, your guests on a guest level. Like, you know, you want them to feel like they know you and you know them and that uh, and that we're just pals here. So it, it, it makes everybody a lot more comfortable, I think. So, yeah, you got it right. down, though. Oh, my God. Thank you, Cody. You know, there's someone who I've actually tried. Uh, this is kind of funny. I've tried to get Paul McCartney on this podcast really hard because I'm a massive Paul fan. And every oh. time Paul puts something out, that's like a new book or that, that new documentary or something, I email his publicist who I've never met ever. 
and he goes, not this time. Or he's like, no, no, he's too busy. He does the thing. But and I, I think about this, I'm like, it would be so insane, but I don't even know what I'd ask him. Like, like, like he's been asked everything. There's too much history to cover. Do you ever think about this? Like, is there a guest that you haven't been able to get? And, uh, and do, do you know what you asked him? Have you, have you, have you ever, have you ever done Paul? Have you ever had Paul McCartney on? Anything? Oh, no, no. I mean, what would you ask that him? would be, uh, yeah, that he hasn't been asked before. You're exactly right. I, I, I and I always think about that when I'm interviewing anybody. It's like, okay, what do I, I, they know, what, what can I ask? They've not been asked a thousand times before, or that might be, you know, sort of an interesting tidbit that, um, that I've gleaned from our, either going back to our small talk or just years of experience with this person, like, you know, Jason Aldean or whoever, like, I, I, I we're going to talk about the kids. Yes. We'll talk about the kids. We're going to talk about the wife. How do we get, how do we get more out of that whole thing that might be interesting to the audience? And so that is a huge challenge. Um, I don't know what I said to McCartney. I do think that, um, you know, I think about like Oprah or somebody like, don't you want to pick her brain a little bit? Like, oh I, I just think God, she's talking yes. to so many people. Like to me, she would be the, uh, the ultimate guest I have you know, never had. Um, maybe it'll happen one day. You know, I've gotten to know Gail King, her BFF in New yeah. York, who does the CBS morning show on TV. And I, uh, I adore her and she's become a pal of mine over the past year, just because of the pandemic, honestly, uh, she started watching the CMT TV show. And, um, and then we, you know, she's apparently a fan of country music because of that. And she loves the videos and she will, I mean, Zach, she will write me little critiques every week of the show. Uh, Cody, I like that shirt on you. Or uh, <laughs> Cody, I I loved your interview with Kelsey Ballerini or whatever. Um, and there's uh, she's paying attention. So maybe that's my my way into Oprah. I don't know. But what would, you, and what would you ask her? Do you think about it? Or you, you I feel like if you get an interview like that, you figure out the last like, you know, the hour leading up to it. Like, I'd probably be so nervous. I, I don't know how you prepare for an interview like that. Right. How 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 would you do it? Well, it probably goes back a little bit to the truth, which is uh, because of Oprah every afternoon coming home from school, I would turn her on channel 25 WOLO TV in Columbia, South Carolina on my black and white with the dial. And I would watch uh, every day and I never had any gay um, heroes. Uh, I, I didn't have, we, you know, there was no Ellen, there was no Will and Grace. There was um, very few people that I even, there was nobody that I knew who was gay. Uh, not at school, none of my family. So again, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one who's different uh, for so long in my life. Uh, Oprah one afternoon had Greg Luganis on, the great Olympic swimmer. Um, and I'll never forget like watching that episode and thinking, and you know, that feeling in your chest and a little tear in my eye at the time. And now thinking, oh my God, there's somebody, he's like me. And that's powerful television. I would ask Oprah about those moments where um, there, there, was, there was a seismic move because of a guest being on who said something. That would have been one for me. Yeah, I've thought about what I might ask her for sure. Oh, I love that. Uh, Cody, it's, it's going to happen. I feel it. I think that some, somehow the moment's going to happen. She'll put out a country music uh, record or something. I, I don't know. Something <laughs> Something's going to warrant this to make this happen. Um, Cody, we've said so much here. By the way, the, here's the thing. I, I read this in probably three days. It's mm -hmm. a great read to watch someone, you know, go through the ranks and become 
you know, a country music radio hero to see the story, to see the path, you know, to see some of the pitfalls and how you've come out of them and how you've just, you know, you talk about acceptance in this book and just, you know, friendship, showing your true self and, you know, you know, just hearing your journey, seeing your journey in this was just amazing. And hearing all your family members write these passages to you was touching also and was incredible to read. Um, everybody's got to check this out. Here's the thing. Cody Allen out now with a forward by Keith Urban, um, which which I, I like reading too. Big, you know, you got Keith Urban to write the forward to your book. It's a it's, it's a big deal, right? It's a it's a I I don't even know how I'd write a forward. I don't even know what I'd say. He wrote a great yeah, forward. I, he's never done it before. Uh, I've asked him. Uh, I've asked him like Keith, are, don't you want to write a book? Because well, think of the stories. Yeah. Oh my god. And he's so smart. He's one of the most brilliant guys. He'd write a great book. Incredibly, he'd be an incredibly great writer, I think. And so I'm pushing him to write it one day. But uh, I first, (laughs) I said, I said, write my Ford and then I'll write yours. Uh, But, (laughs) but he uh, did say yes. And he was like, like that said yes, which is the, it shows the human, you know, the human that, that is Keith Urban. He's just a good guy. Um, And, uh, but yeah, it, I think he had to formulate exactly his thoughts around the theme of the book, which is listening and being present in the moment, showing empathy, not being judgmental with yourself, with others, with your own heart, all these things. And so I think he came to some conclusions like, okay, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Let me write it from my point of view, my thoughts on that, as well as a nice introduction of who I am as an interviewer. So, um, he did a brilliant job. And again, it's just, I, I love that guy. He's, uh, I love his music. He's just, he is that uh, person you see on television and fall in love with because he's just a good dude. Um, and so, yes, thank you for all the support that Zach, it really means a lot. And I love being on with you. And I, uh, le- I, I'm surprised that we haven't gotten to know each other more being both in Nashville. So I'd love to meet you sometime for lunch or coffee or something. I would love to, I was going to say, I wish I could give you a hug right now. And, uh, and uh, absolutely, I would, I would I would love to do that. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Is the whole family come together? Yes. Um, my partner Trey, he, he works in healthcare, so he's going to be uh, working in the morning because uh, healthcare. Uh, but <laughs> doesn't uh, stop. Uh, people still need to be taken care of, so he'll work kind of a half day that day, and then uh, we'll have the whole family over around two or something. And we're huge Cowboys fans, also, which is a huge part of our Thanksgiving is not just the food but the football. And so I actually like Thanksgiving and I hate to say this, I hope it doesn't piss anybody off, but I like it more than Christmas because Christmas with all the pressure of the, you know, the presents and the gifts and all you know, the paper everywhere. Thanksgiving is just about getting together, reconnecting with family, eating great food, watching football. It's all my favorite things. I couldn't so, agree um, more. It's my favorite holiday yeah. by, by far. I mean, I, I mean, of course, the Christmas decorations are up here. I've got a full tree downstairs. Don't misunderstand me. I love the holidays. Well, but- you know what the other thing is? When Thanksgiving is over, you know, Thanksgiving is like sort of the mark of officially this is the holiday season. Then you have Thanksgiving to, or Christmas to look forward to. Once Christmas is over, you're done. <laughs> like then, then you're back to the grind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. And then it's like back to real work again. And But we keep our tree up from Halloween till probably January 30th, 30th, till February. You get so good use like- of it. Yeah, absolutely. We get lots of use out of it and, uh, and lots of Hallmark movies along the way. I love it. Cody, thank you for taking the time this morning. Here's the thing, the new book from Cody Allen. This has got to feel, by the way, you know, if you're a figure of notoriety, the obvious thing to do is to go out and write a book. 
And now you've kind of done it. This has got to be like a little bit of pressure off your shoulders a little bit. You're like, okay, I, I wrote my book. There it is. Now leave me alone, yeah, right? It's true. Uh, and you know what? Part of that is just that feeling of I have a story to tell and uh, thinking people would only see a sliver of me if they Googled me on whatever, you know, they would see just a part of who I am. And I thought, you know, and then we all see part of, part of what you bring up when you bring up your name on Google is, oh, Cody Allen comes out as gay. And you don't know the story so much behind more that. to it than just that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted people to be able to like go back and hear the, all those stories that led up to those, you know, those real conversations, those honest moments. And so you're right though. It is like a huge relief <laughs> to put it out there. And if nothing else, I have a great history for my kids to read one day and they'll look back and go, okay, that was my dad. And here's what he did. And uh, when all is said and done, you know, <laughs> absolutely absolutely cody thank you for taking the time this morning and uh we'll, we'll have to get together and uh and connect in person sometime yeah. soon yeah you're so freaking good at this zach thank you very much for having me thank you for reading the book also not absolutely. every interviewer does that. i do appreciate you taking the time to actually study it out and absolutely. mention yes night that was the best Absolutely. <laughs> next time i'll try to get a little bit of a set i'll clean up some of the papers that you're saying are all you know all over the I place i had to put my glasses on i couldn't see things i don't see things well up close you're right though you're right it's actually well, a better shape than i thought well i just strategically hide the mess from the camera so when you were like there's paper everywhere i was like there is but i don't think it's on camera so i was like is it on camera <laughs> <laughs> zach you're the best thanks again man great to see you talk to you soon there you have it, Cody Allen on the podcast. His new book, Here's the Thing, is out now. Highly recommended. You know, it's just it's a it's a success story. It's a it's a book about someone who maybe wasn't set up to make it in country radio, and uh, and ends up becoming you know one of the biggest country radio hosts that's out there. And to, to see his journey and to see uh, the path he went down to make it happen is very inspiring very cool and um it's it's a great read if you're a country fan or if, if you're into radio here's the thing buy it now purchase it now wherever books are sold the zach kuhn show is mixed by sam Heyman, and our theme music is by justin johnson if you want more content from us you can subscribe to our newsletter at nashvillebriefing.com or you can follow us on socials everything at nashville briefing the Zach Kuhn Show is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and we're proud to be part of it. It's a great network with some really great shows. Check it out, americansongwriter.com. Click the podcast tab. And uh, and by the way, you know, we put a lot of effort into this show and a lot of time, and if you like it, if you enjoy this show, feel free to give us a five-star rating and, uh, and a review in your podcast platform of choice. And... Um, that's it. I think that's it. Cody, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye.